Welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today I welcome you back for part three of our three-part series with Barbara Horton, one of the principals at HLB Lighting Design. We've talked a lot about business in the first part, a lot about lighting in the second part, and now it's time to talk about HLB the legacy of HLB, how it got started, and how it lives on. With seven offices in New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Boston, Miami, Denver, shout out to the local community, and Little Rock, let's dive in to that first office in New York City. Walk me through what that was like. Well, I wasn't there for the beginning. I've seen photographs of it, but essentially the firm started in my living room in Manhattan, where Jules lived. Jules, of course, was my first husband. And I have these great photographs of people sitting around a marble coffee table drafting. Not kidding. And then a few years later, they found a small office space on 29th Street and Park Avenue, and it just grew from there. By the time I joined, which was 1980, was the first time they were formally building an office I was not an owner at the time. I was just the wife of Jules and good friends with Stephen Lees. We moved the office to Park Avenue at Union Square. It was 30 years there. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. During that time, I met Teal doing some IES work. And next thing I know, she was coming to work for us. Let me just back up. All of our offices, with the exception of possibly Austin, were love stories. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So somebody wanted to move. Somebody was getting married. It was always a boyfriend, a future husband or something. And that was how San Francisco got started. You may not know this, but Denise Fong was the first person to open a new office for us. She was 26 years old. And she said, I don't know anything about opening an office or running an office. And we said, neither do we. We'll figure it out. (laughs) Off you go. Let's do it. We had a lot of work out there, and of course, Denise got married, had two children, and then eventually, 10 years later, left the firm and moved up to Seattle and did something completely different, and now she's back in lighting again. We've always remained good friends. With that, there were a couple of people in between, but then the next big move was Teal, who I met here in New York. She had a paramour out on the West Coast, but not in San Francisco, and I said, we'd love to have you join us out there, and she joined that office, and then a couple of years later... The new boyfriend was now in Los Angeles, (laughs) and she said, I'd really like to explore LA, and we were just thrilled with that. We put a business plan together. We made it happen. It wasn't until about 2007 that Carrie Hawley joined right out of college. She went to RPI. She had Howard as one of her professors and Mark Ray and a few others. She came to join us, and a little bit here and there, she got divorced, and the next thing you know, she was dating a guy who was living in Boston, and she said, I'm going to live in Connecticut, and we'll just commute to work. And I was like, what? You're going to open a Boston office for us. She went up there, and we had a lot of work. Everything was a hot start. It wasn't like we're just throwing boots on the ground there. Sure. Carrie opened that office. What was next after that? Miami. Uh, Miami, another love story. Simi Berg, who's an associate principal in the firm, was maybe five, six years out of school. She was Penn Stater. 
her boyfriend was down here. He's a structural engineer. And she's like, well, if you ever think about another office, and we were like, bingo. (laughs) (laughs) And we really were because we've always shared the big perspective of the firm. What are the hot markets? Where do we want to be? What are underserved markets that we should be in? So we're always looking at that strategy and sharing that with the firm. It gives people inspiration and opportunities to see things that might be a good place to go and have family there or whatever it might be. And then Denver started because Michael was, I think, originally from Denver, and he had moved to LA after graduating from Boulder and was there for a number of years. He just was looking to spread his wings. He had gotten married and wants to start a family, and there we were. Darcy was there. She had already been in our LA office as well, and then she had moved back because she had gotten her PhD, and she was working with Nancy Clanton. So she actually came back to us before we physically had an office. She was doing virtual work for a year or so until we made the business plan and we could move the team over and get the work. Austin was Matthew Tentary. So Matthew came to work for us as a daylighting expert. He's a principal in the firm as well. Of course, many years of experience. And he had been a consultant to us for two years while Hayden McKay, who was in the New York office, was transitioning through her retirement. As we knew that day was coming closer, we asked Matthew if he'd come join us as an owner. And he said, yes. But he said, I'm not moving. I'm staying in Austin. And we said, that's fine. (laughs) He's really heading up a team there that is national because daylighting is across all of our different market sectors and offices. And he's trained people. He and Hayden did a tremendous job of training a dozen or so people in sustainability and daylighting and controls. And they've really become that arm for the rest of the firm. There isn't a physical presence in Austin. Matthew's like Switzerland, you know, he, yes, absolutely. <laughs> he works with everyone agnostically. Then we decided to hire our first CFO. Can you believe that? After 40 years of business, the only regret I have is that we didn't do it sooner. We sure. brought somebody on who was in the architectural world. She understood what we did, but she also had the CFO CPA background. Just a great mover and shaker. That's Beth Cantavea. Beth works out of Houston. So who knows, maybe one day there'll be a bigger Texas enterprise. We have three IT people there. We have our CFO. We have another remote worker in San Antonio. Texas is a big state and nobody really wanted to commit to one location. So we were like, hey, we can work virtually. And this was pre-COVID. We have a lot of people like that. We also have North Carolina. We have Charlotte. Another love story. Haley was working in the Boston office and she came back to work for us so that one day she could get married. And so she's down in North Carolina for about two years now. And then Little Rock, Arkansas is our next move. We had a woman, Michelle Douglas, who's in our New York office. And same thing, she came, she's like, hey, I'd like to consider. And we're like, we're not losing people. So yes, go. Carrie is working with Haley on developing the reputation, the market sector, and reaching out to the manufacturers, the reps, and of course, the architectural and design community. And we're doing the same thing in Little Rock. Honestly, we're doing that in a very artful way because the firm always believed in that ecosystem that we're all codependent. We've reached out to the reps and they are reaching out to the architects and it just opens up the doors and makes it a lot easier and a lot more collaborative. That's the story. I can't say what's next because I don't know what love affairs are brewing. (laughs) (laughs) But the love story of HLB is definitely to be continued. For sure. You mentioned how all these people came to you in one firm, 
left for other interests, yet you kept them there at the company and you let the company follow them. As a company today, how does HLB operate? You've got a pretty unique culture being spread out, but what else can you tell us about this? We have 14 amazing principles. That's the start. I forgot to mention in between all of that, we also did an acquisition. We bought AI that was located in New York. We have Faith Baum and Ken Douglas, who had completely different market sectors, a great compliment. We knew each other through our IELD experience. It's interesting because I just did this ownership transition presentation and I've gotten five phone calls. So, hey, would you like to buy our firm? The biggest thing is culture. And that's most important to us. And I think I alluded to that earlier, that when you're in seven different locations and then six more remote locations, it's really hard to keep it together. But I think we have built a firm that is built on trust and an openness and the overall arching spirit of bringing great light to the world. Those are strong words and the leadership team believes in it and it literally flows right down to everybody including our finance team for example they're in there selling too they're in there understanding what we do it's not just siloed departments within this group we're all submerged together hearing the same news offering different ideas you never know where the great ideas are going to come from in the firm And we're just open and receptive to that. And I think that's what has been the success of the culture. You mentioned trust. Trust is a fundamental thing that you're going to have to have if you're going to work with other people. How do you guys communicate across all these offices? And like you said, make sure everybody's in the room so that when the next idea comes, they're there. Well... Pre-COVID, we were already connected to video all the time. So for example, before I moved down to Miami two years ago, I was working with Simi and the team down here virtually. I was here once a month, but there were days I just left my video screen on all day and I'd bop in and out and have the conversation with her and others were doing the same thing. You left your video on all day yeah. and you would just bop in and bop out. Yeah. I mean, you're crazy. Who, who does that? <laughs> who who says, yo, Barbara over here, video cameras on, just come and say hi anytime you want. By the way, I think it's awesome. But like, why did you do that? You need to be connected. And when somebody young, especially in this situation, moving down to a new city, never been there before and trying to build the business and everything else and be a designer and manage people, you sort of have to be there for them. That was the way that we all gravitated to being connected to the other principals. We definitely have our touchdowns every Monday. We have what we call a pulse call. We take a pulse on how people are feeling and dealing with things and support each other. It's very family. Even though we're so far apart, we really do see ourselves that way. Unfortunately, the pandemic has created such an upheaval, but the good thing is that we have connected even more so. We're unique in that we have these different locations, different experiences, different products that we see. Sometimes we're doing the presentations with the reps. Three or four of our offices are on together. It's so interesting to hear the California team asking a question about something with the Boston team on and the Miami team. It's just awesome. I see a lot of great things that have come out of the pandemic that I think are going to be the new way of life. I might tip that a little bit to efficiency too. 
Yeah. Yeah. But great learning opportunity for everybody to just hear how other people are thinking or using a product or an experience that they had. It's just amazing. But I would say that we've always thought of the lives and the livelihoods of everybody in the team. As a business owner, we've been through at least four recessions in my career, catastrophes, 9-11, you name it, and now pandemic. We always had a business plan. We always made sure that it was staff first, even if it meant we had to take a cut in salary or we didn't take a salary 25 years ago at one point. You just needed to do that. And we've continued that. Fortunately, we've been better planners and really deal with budgets better and managing the business in a much better way. So we've never had to hold a paycheck or ask somebody to take benefit cut or something like that. I mean, we're really trying to hold the line. Who knows what 2021 will be? But the good news is that everybody knows what's happening, the entire firm. It's not like 14 principals are sitting in a room and don't communicate to the rest. We have a huddle every Wednesday where we talk about finances. The designers call out information. It's not coming top down. It's actually being brought to the team from bottom up. Absolutely. Very different culture, I'm sure, than most of my colleagues. We have rallied around something called HLB1, which I would say started a number of years ago when, if you think about, well, we've got a, a San Francisco office and we have an LA office. Well, let's carve up the United States and say, well, this is your territory and this is my territory. The first time that happened, I picked up the map, I ripped it in half and said, that's never going to happen. We're one firm. That cross-pollination, our clients are shared, and now we cross-pollinate our teams as well. So we pull in the right experts for the project or the location. Clients are happier. They don't really care where you're sitting as long as you are responsive and servicing them and giving them great ideas and being innovative. When we talk about being able to cross-pollinate, having HLB1, there's 90 people in this company and they make the company who it is. People are arguably the most expensive, but also the most important asset to any business. Mm -hmm. Why do you think people are especially important in a design firm? Well, we don't make widgets. We're not a factory. Everything that we do is creative. It comes out of your flow, your brain, your experiences. Aside from the fact that what it takes to hire somebody and retain them anytime somebody leaves, it's a big expense for us, for everyone, right? There's a rule of thumb that if somebody leaves, you assume a loss of about three times their salary because you have to reconfigure and rehire and do so many things. I think recognizing that retaining good people is critical to the success of the business has been the stronghold of the firm. That's not to say that we haven't lost people. We've had principals who've left. Sometimes the dreams are different than ours. So we can't always retain everybody and make everybody happy. But I can count many people who came through our doors, and we counted last year when we celebrated our 50th anniversary. 450 people have walked through the doors or are still there over 50 years. That's a lot of people. That is a ton and of people. so many of them started their own companies, some of them with our blessing, like take that project, go, go do your thing, because their dream was different than ours. And we've all remained friends. I can't tell you how many times I get a call on a project that I just don't feel like it's the right fit for us. And I say, but I know somebody who could really do this for you. I'm never going to leave you hanging. Go and talk to so-and-so. They can definitely take care of this. And I'll call them up and say, I have a great client. 
I don't want to lose them, but I know that you'll do the right thing for them and we'll all be happy. Building those relationships with our current and former employees have been a mainstay for us, and that's why they're valuable. They're always going to be partners with us somehow or other in our business. 450 people is a lot of people. There's 90 there today. Some of them are still there. Some of them have moved on. What does it feel like to you now? You're taking your last victory lap round before probably don't have to get on that webcam all day, every day anymore. Do you feel like you set out to accomplish something and you've completed that? Was it more? Was it less? Did you ever even think about that? Honestly, when I hit 40 and I had seen some of those great lighting designers retiring, many of them, you know, just closing up shop and not having anything to show for it. It always made me think, well, I don't want to be the person who's 80 years old and they're shoving me out the door because, you know, I'm not useful anymore. Being a long-term planner at heart and putting the things in place and getting the right people to help us navigate through our succession plan has really been inspiration. And now to see it, last year, Stephen retired. He was one of the first to be able to walk away with satisfaction, with some reward for what he had done and a celebration, not just a, oh gosh, they threw me out because I wasn't useful anymore. Hopefully I'll have the same experience in the next year or so. It's funny because some of our leadership team have said, I can't imagine you retiring. You haven't stopped yet. But I have a lot of other things I want to do. So yes, I will stop. And I can stop because we've built a team of leadership and a team of designers and a team of business managers that can keep that legacy going. And that was the driver for me to keep Jules' legacy going. And I would say my only regret is that Jules didn't live to see it happen. I think he would have been very proud. I don't think he ever expected that we could take the firm to where it is in stature and size and respect in the industry. I think he would be very proud of all of us. I'm sure not only would he be, but he is. And where you're at 40 years in, I did a little simple math over here. That's 10,400 days. 250,000 hours. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book, 10,000 hours is what it takes to master something. So if I do my math, 250,000 divided by 10,000 is 25 times what it takes to master something. You're the master, Barbara. You're the marketing queen master. You're the lighting master. Do you feel like you've mastered lighting? Do you feel like you've mastered running a lighting design firm? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I'm pretty humble. I would say that, yes, because of all the people around me, not because of me. It's still such a great reward to see all of our team members engaged in projects that are winning awards. Even if I didn't work on those projects, I feel ownership to them. I feel pride in that. I guess I feel like I did master something. I uh, got a successful company, surrounded myself by the most amazing people, and they're going to keep that going. And that's my legacy. I couldn't agree more. A legacy is always what comes after it. And I think it's a beautiful thing that you've put in so much hard work. HLB will absolutely be around longer than you, longer than me, longer than probably most of us that will ever listen to this wonderful conversation that we've had today. What are you going to go master next? Well, when I graduated high school, I always wanted to be a painter. And then reality set in and I said, you know what, I have to earn a living and that's probably not going to happen. I don't want to be starving artist. That moved me into interiors and that segued into lighting. I have, you know, 
dabbled back and forth, but never really had enough time. And now I will take time. In fact, I've already started going back to my roots of the things that really inspired me and doing a lot more watercolors and abstract with acrylic. And I'm sitting in Biscayne Bay. My apartment is literally on a little peninsula. I've got water on three sides, and it has been so inspirational for me to watch the sunrise on one side of the apartment and the sunset on the other. And you know, the skyscapes here are just extraordinary and so inspirational and so transformative in many ways. So I'm going to master the art of art (laughs) that I never got to do. I love it. Mastering the art of art. Maybe you'll have a little art gallery down in Miami someday too. You know, you never know. Right now, as I'm doing things, people are seeing them and they're like, oh, could you do one for me? And I was like, no, (laughs) but you can buy one. (laughs) There's a little something in there that I think you were always meant to do what you've done. Without a doubt, I know you've inspired so many people. I have met a few people that work at HLB. I've met a bazillion people that know of you and talk so highly of you, your passion and your drive. My final question for you is, what do you think has driven you? What has motivated you in your career? Gosh, the thing that has motivated me the most was creating great environments and making sure that I felt content, not just with the work and the expansion of the company and the people that were there, but also making some money. Honestly, it comes down to things that you want in life. And I think I realized a long time ago that you can do both. You can have a great business, you can have true design excellence and contribute to the world, making it a better place, and you can also make money. And then last, give it back. So that's what I've been doing all these 40 years. Barbara, thanks again so much for this conversation. What's the best way people can get in touch with you if they have any questions or they'd like to chat? Email is probably the best way. That's bhorton at hlblighting.com. And I'll keep that for a number of years, even when I retire. So anybody who wants to consult, let me know. That's awesome. Barbara, thanks again so much for your time. It's been great to hear your inspirational thoughts. It's been awesome to hear the story of HLB through your eyes. And I've really enjoyed this. I hope that we can catch up soon, maybe in Miami, maybe in Denver, maybe post-pandemic at a lighting conference. Who knows? Oh my God, wouldn't that be nice? Oh my God, I desperately want to get on a plane. It was great, Sam. I will tell you, I had a little reservation in the beginning. Like, what am I going to talk about? But you set it up beautifully. And I really appreciate a very thoughtful discussion. You got it. Well, I tell you what, this is part three. If you missed any of them, feel free to go back and listen to them. And if we're lucky, maybe Barbara will give us part four on painting someday. Take care until then, Barbara. I'll see you soon. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, Barbara Horton. Wow, was that an absolutely incredible set of three podcasts over the last three weeks. Barbara has so many inspiring stories. She also has one heck of a career. And I personally want to thank her for taking the time to share it all with us. I got the opportunity to catch up with Barbara for almost three hours. And while not all of it got to be a part of this conversation, I can personally tell you that she is someone who is super passionate about lighting, someone who cares about what she's done and someone who has always made time to give back to her community because she realizes that we are always better together than we are apart. 
If you like this podcast, do me a favor. Just call Barbara, shoot her an email, tell her that she made a difference in your life today. I know she made a difference in mine. It's hard to believe that 2020 is almost come to an end. It's been an amazing year to listen, interview, and share all these stories with you and so many others. From my family to yours, happy holidays. Stay safe, and I'll see you next year.